0: This podcast is produced by Castlepoint Systems, the compliance, security, and discovery solution for all your information in any of your systems. Castlepoint asks, What could you do and what could you achieve if you knew what every record in your environment was about, what rules applied to it, and whether they were being met? Over the series, I talk with a range of industry, academic, and government commentators from Australia and overseas about ways to mitigate risks to data and compliance and to maximise the opportunities that are arising. I interview experts in the records, strategy, discovery, security and audit fields who share their experience and insights in ways we can all apply right now and into the future of our new normal.
1: Hi everyone. Welcome again to another one of our expert interview webinars. Today we have Dan Morland, who's the Regional Manager Africa at Project Associates UK. Before we start with Dan, I'd like to begin by acknowledging and paying my respects to the Ngunnawal people, who are the traditional owners and custodians of the land that I'm on today, and I'd like to pay my respect to their Elders past, present and emerging, and to any other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people joining us on the call today. So, Dan, thank you so much for joining us um, all the way from the Northern Hemisphere. Now, you've got an academic background in study of the Middle East and international relations specifically. So, how has that degree led you into your current role?
2: Um, well, I think I certainly didn't intend on learning in this industry um, and I'm not even sure I knew it existed when I was a student. I think I probably assumed that the close advisors of top governments and businesses uh, and individuals were probably citizens of those countries um, and had to sort of specialize in a specific ministry or industry. Um, If I had known that there was a job that would allow for such a wide range of access to governments and to businesses um, across the world, um, I probably would have intentionally gone into it. Um, but by chance, um, I was brought into the industry straight from the LSE, um, specifically because of my um, specialization in the Middle East, because my first government um, client was in the Gulf um, and they sort of had the spotlight on them. And so we were brought in to um, help them manage that and deal with a lot of the internal capabilities of dealing with international media all of a sudden. Um, So the regional knowledge has actually been quite a huge asset, um, mainly because the Middle East and Africa are very big markets for this industry. Um, They are uh, very open to international and outsider um, input and advice. Um, there's a need often, um, and there's, uh, there's definitely an interest in sort of moving forward and um, keeping the spotlight on them in a positive way. Um, so coming in with the knowledge of a country's history um, and its sort of domestic ongoings and its foreign relations uh, definitely helps um, when you're kind of constructing your advice and your consultancy and the messages that you think that they should be sharing with the world. But it's also quite helpful in terms of cultural sensitivities. Um, and most of the time I need to be on the ground. And so it's it's uh, practical knowledge at the end of the day, actually.
1: Right. Yeah, it sounds like... Um... You know a very rich environment to be working with a, a lot of um different stakeholders a lot of different activities a lot of um urgency i guess so is that the kind of thing that project associates does you know i guess what is the what is the prospectus that, that you guys offer
2: So um, in a nutshell, we're a strategic communications firm. um, And I think there's quite a lot of uh, companies that kind of define themselves in that way. Um, But what we really sort of do is we build and we manage and we protect reputations um, for clients around the world. Uh, So that can be um, a government and a politician or a specific ministry or an entire company or um, a high net worth individual. Basically, anybody who has the spotlight on them and they want to sort of manage that reputation um, sometimes it's proactive. They want to build an image for themselves um, or sometimes they want to uh, deal with um, protecting the current image that they've got for themselves. Um, It's definitely urgent. Um, I think the thing that's most enjoyable about Project Associates is that we are independently owned, which is quite rare for this industry, but it means that we can be um, involved in most exciting projects. And we don't have as many sort of uh, client clashes um, or any sort of big corporate telling us no or yes, um, which means that we get some of the most interesting projects which deal with sort of issues that are at the nexus of politics, media, um, economic and social issues, which uh, definitely uh, results in in an urgency of of everything we're doing because it's usually the the front pages, um, which means you need to act quickly, especially these days with how the media works.
1: Yeah, of course, especially with social media. You know, gone are the days of you know making the print deadline or something. There's um, this yeah. cycle. <laughs> of um, use information so how is um how is Africa discreet in that you know how does your your specialization in the history and and politics and culture of the region play into the different kind of work that Project Associates does in that market? Um, I think the
2: what we're seeing in Africa for um, a lot of companies there and not just companies in in my um, industry but um it's sort of a common um topic that comes up when you're speaking with people when you're on the ground there uh is the issue of fake news um and the spread of uh, fake news in the across the region um which is just definitely more prevalent um even in in COVID, um, what we saw was uh, a lot of countries sort of responding um, via uh, different methods and, and not necessarily understanding um, or disseminating a message on basic uh, hygiene, but instead sort of going to prayer, um, which has not the country in a lot of ways. Um, so I think being able to understand um, kind of the nuances between how people are um, getting media Uh, how the media is sourcing what it's saying Um, and being able to tailor your message, especially if you're a health organization or you're a comms consultant to government at something like now um, is very, very crucial um, because it's not the same tactics that you would use in Europe. It's not um, necessarily having a press conference with the prime minister on a daily basis. Um, In Africa, you might need to use radio in a way that we don't use as much in Europe, because that's a prim- more of a primary source. You might need to use Facebook instead of Twitter. Um, so I think, um, especially now, making sure that you've really done the, uh, the local knowledge um, research into um, the digestion of media will be uh, crucial to your success of your campaign, whatever it is.
1: Right. So now that you are in this industry and you know about strategic communications and crisis communications, how would you describe it to other undergrads maybe who, who have never heard about it? And a lot of our listeners today will have never heard about this. You know, what is crisis communications in a nutshell?
2: Um, it is really what it sounds like. Um, we step in during moments of reputational importance um, that can be good or bad. Um, to guide clients through what they're saying, how they're saying it, who they're saying it to, um, both internally and externally. Um, I think the the internally point is something that people often overlook. Um, they think that crisis communications usually is this sort of image of the person doing a, a, a press conference or a press briefing in this, you know, chaotic um, moment, whereas actually um, there is a lot that happens before that, um, which is briefing the, the internal organization um, on what's going on, um, which, is, which is very key to what we do. Um, the accounts for crisis communications and the, the briefs that you're working on, they really range in contacts, uh, context because uh, there is no crisis that is the same. Um, we can be found involved in dealing with um, companies who are uh, suffering from a cyber breach or a product recall uh, to helping a country who is dealing with a diplomatic row or um, a terrorist attack. Um, but the fact that no crises is the same means that the response has to be completely different each time, which is why um, it's very exciting to be involved in. And um, and uh, you have to watch how the the crisis develops and you have to have a strategy in place um, that is adaptable um, to the evolving context. Um, and you need to not just be watching your own crises, um, but watching the, the global and regional um, and industry context within it to be able to adapt it accordingly, um, which is very crucial. Um, It's a bit of a minefield but I actually think that's what makes it sort of the most fun. Um, The end game for crisis communications is really just to survive it. Um, By nature these moments are uh, chaos Um, and for some clients uh, they can be very emotional and personal experiences Um, and it's sort of up to us to sort of keep that level head um, pay extra close attention to details, because um, that's usually where the trip ups happen, um, and ensure that the, uh, the client, whether it's a president or a CEO, is communicating not under duress, but very strategically um, at a moment that will uh, impact them in the future for, for a long time to come, likely.
1: Yeah. I think the strategic thing is really important, isn't it? Because there's a life cycle of, of crisis communications. I guess you can't just start when the crisis happens, you know, obviously that would happen a lot. You get called in after the horse has already bolted, but can you give us a bit of a picture of the, the ideal life cycle of crisis comms? I guess the, the prep, um, through the crisis and then through the resolution afterwards.
2: Yeah. Um, again, uh, these can vary. The, the life cycle of the, of the crisis can vary a lot. Um, but in an ideal world, we would be brought in before there actually is a crisis. Um, and it's a bit obvious to say, but the clients who sort of best handle their crises, um, the ones who sort of survive, don't just survive it, but they come out actually stronger, are the ones who are prepared for it. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they need to have expected exactly what was going to happen or how it was going to unfold. I mean I don't think anybody really expected the crises that we're currently in, Um, but it can sometimes be as simple as having uh, like a broad scenario plan in place um, on issues that we know could happen, such as a breach. What's key here in the preparation is um, sort of small things that that seem um, insignificant, but in moments of crises, they're actually huge time wasters and they're very um, large risk areas. So this is sort of knowing who your stakeholders are, having pre-approved um, uh, protocols in place on you know the chain of command on who would approve what, having some of your spokespeople media trained and, and sort of confident to be able to speak externally. Um, these are things that you want to have kind of sorted, um, before the heat of a crisis. Um, our, our COO as well is very, uh, strong on sort of, um, uh, explaining to clients that, uh, it's, it's a lot easier, um, to deal with a crisis if you've sort of solidified your re- reputation before as well. If you have strong, um, relationships with, uh, third party, individuals and institutions, uh, whether that's uh, politically or media, uh, those are people that you can call on um, to sort of help and to, to voice their support in a moment of reputational um, potentially damage. Uh, and that can be very useful. Um, so that's sort of the, the prior that we, uh, we would really recommend that companies do. Uh, the actual life cycle is also dependent on so many factors um and frankly there's a lot that are out of our control and out of a client's control um there are days in which the media is frankly bored um and you can find something that really doesn't warrant it on the front pages of every magazine and then equally i've seen instances of um of of crises that should have been um, global headlines around the world be completely uh, flown under the radar because Trump has changed the U.S. foreign policy with a tweet. Um, so there are certainly things that are that are up to luck at the end of the day. Um, but I think something that is often overlooked, um, especially these days, is the fact that most crises um don't have an end necessarily in their life cycle. Um, The the story itself can die out of media absolutely and you would hope that that happens after a certain amount of time Um, but they can still have an impact on the reputation of the country or the company or the family Um, and I think the best thing you can do for this sort of end phase is to ensure that how you refer to the crises and how you're handling it is um, contemporarily appropriate. Um, Judging um, the way that we have spoken about mistakes, government mistakes or company mistakes in the past aren't necessarily the wording that we would wanna use to how our social situation is today. So constantly reassessing that against um, the current climate is quite important. Otherwise you could create another crisis simply by uh, miswording
1: yeah that's right and and i think there's um i i've noticed as an absolute non-expert in this there has been a change in how organizations respond to attacks on their reputation and it seems a lot less defensive and belligerent now than maybe it used to be and there's a lot more contrition and it comes a lot faster and it seems to be received a lot better so you know people talk about cancel culture and things but Um, It seems like there's actually a a positive outcome of that, which is that people can um, admit and address the wrongdoing faster, which means repairing faster, you would think. Yeah. 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 And
2: I think um, over time as well, especially with the growing um, influence and prevalence of the media, um, companies have learned and countries have learned from previous mistakes, not necessarily theirs, but others as well. Um, we've seen um, a change in this shift of um, uh, how we even view the media, um, which is something that I found really interesting in, in clients, in um, government clients in the Middle East and in Africa. Is One of the first steps you have to usually do when you get there is um try and change their fundamental understanding of the media because often they see engaging with the media as just a risk um, and it's just something that backfires. Um, And you have to sort of um, kind of put that existential question into uh, what the platform means for them um, and how it can be a positive tool for their message rather than just a scary interview.
1: Yeah. So fascinating. Now that I know about this, maybe I should change career as well. (laughs) Um, Now, back to the the topic at hand, you know, back to my down to earth in my real job. So thinking about data and information, everything you've described to me sounds like what we do from a security and audit point of view in terms of setting up disaster recovery plans, business continuity plans, you know, know what could happen, model it a little bit, test it maybe and have a plan in place. Um, From the information side of things, how does that end up crossing over with crisis communications. What kinds of things can happen with corporate and government data that can lead to a crisis?
2: Um, Unfortunately, a lot. Um, I think most companies and countries are aware of the more common incidents, um, such as ransomware attacks or whistleblowers, Um, but the scenarios don't really end there. I have seen um, personally some severe issues from um, let's say a civil servant leaving a laptop on a bus um, or an employee accidentally uploading a very sensitive document to the wrong portal. Um, How quickly this escalates as well can sometimes be out of your control as we said earlier. Um, I think what's interesting in, in your line of uh, work and the overlap with my line of work um, is that GDPR has fundamentally like altered the landscape for this um, and uh, slips when it comes to data from a reputational point of view, but also from a litigation point of view, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But in a worst-case scenario, you could be liable of about 20 million euros or four percent of your annual global turnover, whichever is larger, um, for infringements. And so this is a this is a new era um, of, uh, of of your industry and my industry, um, and that's why I think like being prepared is is more important now than it was previously.
1: Yeah, that's right. And it's it's a very tricky time now because regulations like that are increasing and the penalties are increasing and the appetite for pursuing and prosecuting breaches is increasing as well. Um, and that has collided with the pandemic global pandemic, which has sent people to be working from home, working on unapproved systems, working without oversight. So right at the time where we're having a crisis and we need better coverage and regulation is the same time that we're sort of destabilising those structures that we do have in place. So have you seen that play out in the real world? Have you seen some actual impacts arising as a result of the pandemic that have caused reputational issues for organisations?
2: Yeah, um, I think uh, we are one of the industries that, um, or at least one of the companies um, that has, has actually grown a little bit um, as a result of, of this, um, this crisis is in um, existing clients need to add um, their response to COVID went into the brief and there are some clients, um, new clients who need to to come in um, to the fold as a result of this. Um, There have been a number of sources around the world that have said cyber attacks have increased um, during COVID. Um, And I think it was as early as April that the WHO said that um, they had four or five times the amount of um, cyber attacks or cyber cyber attack attempts um, hitting them. in a very obvious way I think the more online we are the more at risk we are Um, and uh, there's no sort of way around that um, ultimately I think um, no one really knows how long this trend is going to keep up this working from home and these you know um, webinar meetings rather than sort of roundtables and so that's something definitely to keep in mind
1: so have you, been, um, have you been advising your clients about the kind of um, steps they can be taking now? You know, you're obviously, you mentioned before that your COO is, is really telling people, hey, work on building the reputation beforehand, work on planning for a breach or an incident beforehand. Is that the, still the main message in this kind of environment or are there other key things that you're advising people to do as well? Um, That would be sort of the
2: overarching main message, but there's nuances and and specificities within it. Um, I think especially when it comes to uh, data protection and reputation, um, internal communications is often overlooked, but is extremely uh, crucial. Um, It's very important obviously to have the software protections and the IT IT systems in place, Um, but from a reputational point of view, I don't really know what the point of that is. If your own employees, who have access to all of this stuff, don't know the difference between sensitive and and insensitive information, um, and that can be a huge risk. Um, so. Even though it's definitely boring um, as an employee, internal training um, and regular and sort of clear communications should be at the forefront of of all companies and countries and institutions. Risk mitigation when it comes to data um, and uh, and reputation. Um, I think uh, within this in in our industry, quite a lot we have this sort of rule um, where we're never supposed to send an email or a WhatsApp that you wouldn't want the Daily Mail to see um and that's sort of a nice rule of thumb that people uh, try to stick to i mean of course we all need to carry on with our jobs and that is going to involve um, especially in our industry a lot of confidential information Um, but how you choose your words um, in an email or a whatsapp when communicating this stuff is is crucial Um, and you will see it um, in the media having backfired uh, when things have been
1: leaked yeah, we do see that a lot and i think it, it seems to be the most damaging then you know when you when we finally get access to emails about the global financial crisis or um you know the fires in california and we find employees joking you know which which i understand people let off steam and everything but it just it really sticks and it it marks you know that kind of thing when it comes into the public eye so we're certainly getting a lot of um a lot of requirements from our clients to really kind of scan their whole environment and say look what do we have here that's risky and not just in the traditional sense of well that's classified or that's commercial in confidence but what other kinds of information would have a really bad impact if their confidentiality was leaked let's find out where we are and um organizations are really surprised about how much of that stuff there is and how widely it is spread around because the bigger you are the more data you have but also the more people And those people's yeah. values won't always be aligned with yours. Um, on that value side, this is a question that you know I've always wondered and I think a lot of people wonder about people who work in sort of reputation protection sometimes there's going to be a, a trade-off, right, between protecting a client and doing a good job and protecting the, the public interest and the public goods. So what what role do crisis communicators play in, in balancing that? Is it more at the strategic level, like choosing what clients you will and won't represent? Or does it ever come down to, you know, the wire saying, hey, look, we're not going to help you cover this up, for example?
2: Um, absolutely. I mean, we... We are very resolute in, in who we pick, uh, who we work for, um, and most companies uh, in this industry will have an ethics committee um, or uh, uh, something similar to be able to ter- determine whether or not um, a client um, is is um, appropriate to work for. And the due diligence is, is certainly um, uh, high um, in this industry as it should be. Um, What's interesting, I think, is the, the, the media's role as well in, um, sort of propagating those messages, uh, because you'll see often um, that this is a recurring focal point of their of their argument. Um, And this is where like quite a lot of clients sort of make grave mistakes. Um, And I think that there are usually industries um, agencies are behind some of those mistakes. Um, So, for example, um, Equifax. who had a massive data breach a couple of years ago, took like six weeks after finding out um, of the breach before they informed any of their customers. Um, and uh, I personally see that as a highly immoral um, uh, decision um, and it fundamentally came down to a lack of regulations in that state. Um, but what's interesting is when you see the media coverage of Equifax at that um, for this incident, uh, there's less criticisms about the fact that the, the breach happened and that the attack happened because these things, certain things are inevitable. And even if you invest millions of dollars in protection, things can happen. Where the real criticisms came were the fact that they, they sat on the information, um, which was something that they were in control of. Um, and the, the, the sort of um, the main line that came out of a lot of articles was that they were protecting their bottom line over the public good. Um, and ironically, this did a huge amount of um, damage to their reputation. Um, so it's not in our, uh, even in our interest as a, as a reputation management company to advise clients to do anything against the public good because we are living in a world where these things come out, um, they really do. Um, and that's why I am uh, a strong believer personally, not everybody um, agrees with me on holding statements Um, I think no comment is a is a terrible idea Um, and engaging even when you don't have all of the information um, is a basic level of respect to me to your stakeholders, um, whether that's a customer or whether that's a voter. Um, And it doesn't need to be very complicated. I think you can simply say we know something has happened and we're looking into it and we'll let you know um, as soon as we know more. And our priority is this um, when I compare that to the reputational damage and the trust that you would lose um, from, you know, X couldn't be reached during this very crucial moment. Um, it becomes pretty obvious to me, which client appears in control and on top of the situation. Um, but ultimately uh, we, we were never going to advise our clients to lie Um or to do anything against the public good, because um, there's the moral reason, but there's also a strategic reason that um, it, no one really gets away with it these days. And um, the, the more honest you are um, and the more in control of the situation you are, the better you're going to come out reputationally.
1: Yeah, that's definitely right. I mean, we, we have the same philosophy in our organization, you know, don't, don't um, communicate anything unless you know that it's correct. And if something goes wrong, admit to it straight away because the fact is, mistakes will be uncovered, you know, um, in their time. They will come out. And on, on the flip side of that, we've been in situations before working with security agencies where we've discovered a breach. And what you want to do is tell the people who are affected straight away. But the fact is, if you make that information public, you will be swarmed with hackers because the vulnerability yep. still exists. So there is always a little bit of a trade off, but I do think you right it's used too often as a crutch oh we couldn't possibly tell you you know it's it's classified those are on water matters you know so um i think we need to find the right balance there okay so what is your kind of key tip what's your key takeaway for organizations who might maybe they've had a spill and they're trying to recover or maybe they're just thinking well how do i stop this from happening to me what's the best thing that they could do right now
2: um i think as, as we said, be prepared um, and never lie. Um, and I think if you are really prepared, you don't need to lie. Um, I completely understand um, and am sympathetic to the fact that uh, investing in um, sort of a, a pre-crisis preparation plan for what feels like a hypothetical situation, especially during sort of economic uncertainty, um, feels unnecessary. But It's important to stay ahead of these things and the prevalence of breaches um, is growing and their existential threat is as well. Um, So if you have the internal capabilities as a business or a government, dedicate teams uh, to proactive preparations, have your scenario plans, your pre-approved holding statements. Um, Ensure there's a backup procedure in case your key individual uh, individuals are not available or they're not appropriate anymore for the current context. Um, and don't leave your plans in reserve for years, constantly evaluate them against the current climate to check that they are suitable. Um, and if you don't have the internal capabilities, then then hire somebody who can help you.
1: Great. Fantastic advice. Business continuity and disaster recovery plans are not just for it fantastic yeah <laughs> Holland, thank you so much it's been so great to talk to you we're going to continue the discussion in the group i've posted the link in the chat so you guys can jump on that if you'd like to and hopefully we'll see you in there thank you everyone see you next time
0: thanks thanks for listening if you'd like to know more about castle point systems please go to our website at www.castlepoint.systems to get in touch Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn where you can engage with us and all of our experts.